It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Happy 2022 to all you Buzz Meter fans. I hope you're coming off a great holiday weekend. Let me tell you about my weekend. Well, yesterday I had double duty. I was on the Fox News Sunday panel. We'll get to that in a moment uh, before doing Media Buzz. Uh, also was doing the big package for special report on Friday night. I was on the special report panel Thursday night. You know, let's just face it. Everyone's out of town. So they decided to call me off the bench for some of these things. Uh, I mean, I obviously do this even in normal times, but the best story here, maybe the best story of my whole time at Fox, uh, was on Friday afternoons, New Year's Eve, kind of wrapped up the preparations for the show. Nothing going on. I'm sitting home in sweatpants. Suddenly I get a call from Fox. Can you come on the air right now uh, because Betty White has died? And I had seen that five minutes earlier. Um, and I said, well, you know, I, I, got, I got to throw some makeup on. I got to get the uh, Skype set up. You want me just to do a quick phoner? No, no, we, we, we'd like you to try to do the Skype. So I said, you know what, the heck with the makeup, the heck with putting on a nice clothes. Uh, I got the uh, iPhone working. And five minutes later, I'm on the air. Now, I understand because it's breaking news. Uh, it's a holiday for all intents and purposes. It's hard to track down guests all of a sudden. And, you know, Betty White is an icon and this is the most interesting thing going on. But I figured, you know, I'd come on for three or four minutes. I'd say a few things. Thank you very much. And I'd be done. Well, that's not exactly what happened. And let me just say, I mean, I love Betty White just like everybody else. But my knowledge of Betty White's career is not that deep. And had I had maybe 10 more minutes, you know, I would have read a few articles, I would have had a few more data points to bring up. Well, I ended up being on the air with the Jillian Turner and Anika Vogel for 20 straight minutes. No commercials, they blew out the brakes, all talking about Betty White. Now, after the first three, four, five minutes, I felt like I had made my points and I kept thinking they're going to rap or they're going to get another guest to call. And no, we're still talking and we're still talking and we're still talking. And you could kind of tell the anchors were scrambling too. I'm sitting here at home scrambling and um, it turned into a pretty good conversation. Everybody was very happy with it. But there was one point after about 15 minutes when I said, and that's why America will miss Betty White. And I figured they say, thank you very much. No, more questions. Now, fortunately for me, I mean, I knew they certainly know the outlines of her career, uh, Golden Girls and being on the Mary Tyler Moore show. And I remembered when she uh, guest hosted Saturday Night Live. Amazing to me that she's had this career for decades and decades, uh, passing now at 99. People magazine already printed the cover saying happy 100th birthday to Betty White. It seems cosmically unfair that she didn't quite make that. Um, but fortunately, by sheer coincidence, a few days ago, I was watching an old movie from more than a decade ago called The Proposal with Sandra Bullock. Uh, Sandra Bullock plays this woman, this hyper, you know, devil wears product kind of career woman who suddenly decides to fake marry her assistant to avoid being deported from the country because she's Canadian and she has to go to Alaska where his family's from and there's Betty White as the grandmother who ends up faking a heart attack and she was terrific and the other thing you know, every time I see her like you know she takes advantage of her advanced age by dropping some curse words or something like oh, I can't believe she said that so fortunately we, we talked about the movie and they played a clip for the movie and as we went on I, I made the observation that incredible that she started out in radio and was able to make the transition 
to television and then to movies and then to doing SNL. She's she's even seemed plugged into internet culture. She's not only the coolest 99-year-old woman around, she was just a really cool person. Also thinking that, you know, for a woman in particular where Hollywood kind of chews them out and spits, chews them up, spits them out, and then someone younger and cuter comes along. Amazing to have that kind of longevity. Uh, And also that I didn't know anything about Betty White's politics. I knew she was a big animal rights activist. You know, if she has a bunch of liberal positions, I don't know about that. Unlike, you know, all these other uh, Hollywood stars and musicians, you see this at the award shows or all any Trump, you see this with the late night comics. And I think that's part of the secret too. You know, people, she didn't alienate part of her audience. Anyway, I did about 20 minutes. I exhausted every scrap of information I had about Betty White. Very sorry about her passing, but we should celebrate her life. What a wonderful life. Yesterday, when I was on the Fox News Sunday panel, I was what's called the backup anchor, because we're in a situation now where people are either appearing as a guest or as a host or as an anchor or as Trace Gallagher in L.A. from a remote hookup. And sometimes it's happened. It's happened to me. The lines go down. So somebody has to be in the studio who could take over. So that means I'm looking at all the questions for the various guests. Uh, and at any moment, I got it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's probably 99% chance that's not going to happen, but it might. And it has. I, fortunately, I did not need to jump in. Now, I'll get to what I said on Fox News Sunday in a moment. Uh, a couple of things I do want to get to is we kind of ease into the new year here. As of, let's see, tomorrow, if you still have a BlackBerry, it's not going to work anymore. If it has the BlackBerry operating system that uses the Android system, I guess it can still work. And it just got me to thinking, I mean, some of you younger listeners will just think this is hysterical, but there was a time in the early to mid-2000s when you had to have a BlackBerry to be cool. And I had a number of BlackBerries, and I loved it because I loved the keyboard. It was, it was great at one thing and one thing only, getting and receiving email. Uh, You could barely get on the web. Uh, Basically, you know, the phone calls were okay, but it was that email and I could type really fast on it. Uh, Then along comes the iPhone and the BlackBerry company doesn't adapt. And before you know it, it's the most uncool thing on the planet. And I look at it now, I still have my last one, and it's like looking at a, a dial phone, the kind that used to be attached to your kitchen wall. So the BlackBerry company uh, is just thrown up its hands and your BlackBerry doesn't work anymore if you have the BlackBerry operating system. It was great while it lasted, but you know, in in the corporate world, you got to innovate. And BlackBerry did not. It stuck to the one thing it did and it just wasn't even a good web browser. All right. You know, when Katie Couric's book, uh, when uh, when the book leaked to the Daily Mail and a bunch of excerpts came out, I was very critical because the stuff that came out had to do with her acknowledging that she had protected Ruth Bader Ginsburg by not using uh, some of the most um, inflammatory things she said. Uh, she she made some, I thought, unnecessarily gratuitously mean comments about some of other uh, women who were up and coming at the time because she considered them competition. But the, the book stayed out there for like two weeks. Nobody else had it. So naturally, the Daily Mail was using the excerpts that were most unfavorable to Katie Kirk, who I've known for a long time and interviewed many times. Now I'm almost through the book. And I've got to say, when it comes to her unsuccessful five years as the anchor of the CBS Evening News and to the syndicated talk show uh, that folded after two seasons. She's pretty hard on herself. That didn't come out because most of us didn't have the book and she didn't go out and spin it, I guess because she wasn't allowed to be on the air. And there's one section that I also 
reported on at the time. This had to do with a um, documentary she made about gun guns, basically. And what she did at the time, which I thought was, an, was absolutely a journalistic scandal, was that the, she was interviewing members of a gun rights group in Virginia, trying to get their side of the story. And she asked a question, and there was this eight-second long delay where it looked, and they showed pictures of the members of the group, and it looked like they couldn't think of what to say. They were all clueless, and then they said whatever they said. Well, you can't do that because it was edited from a different part of the interview. Um, and a statement was put out on Katie's behalf saying, you know, basically kind of defending what she did. But in the book, she says she was furious that this was done by a producer without her knowledge, but she didn't say that at the time, at least initially. And she understands full well what a, what a journalistic breach that is. And she didn't have to include that in the book, so I give her credit for that. She does beat up on herself a fair amount, and there's a lot of stuff about her boyfriends, etc. Okay, one more thing before we get down to business, and that is I've been listening to an Audible book. Uh, it's interviews with Paul Simon and some of his music. I've talked at length about the Beatles and Get Back. It's done by Malcolm Gladwell, who you may know uh, from his magazine work and his books, the guy who came up with the 10,000 hours theory of how you have to... Get, have a long apprenticeship to get really good at it, at whatever it is that you do. And look, I'm a big Simon fan, Simon and Garfunkel fan, so a lot of it is just fascinating to me. But one thing that stuck in my mind is the song The Boxer, uh, one of Simon and Garfunkel's greatest hits. I am just a poor boy, but my story is seldom told and so forth. And it builds into this anthem, and at the end, whenever he does this in concert, everybody sings a gong. It goes, lie, 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 lie. And I thought, wow, that was just so brilliant. So Gladwell asked Paul Simon about this, and Simon says he had written two verses of the song, and he was stuck for a third verse, and he couldn't come up with any more words. He couldn't come up with any more lyrics. So he did the nonsense thing, just as a way of like keeping the song going. And here I thought it was this brilliant masterstroke, and it was just simply that he couldn't come up with any more lyrics for the song. And of course, that part of the song, the song as a whole, became classic. There's a lot of good stuff in here. I might share some of it with you on a future podcast. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. On uh, Fox News Sunday yesterday, part of what I had to talk about was January 6th, because... As you know, the anniversary is coming up in just three days. And it's going to be uh, a partisan, divisive blowout once again because uh, President Biden and House Democrats are going to speak and Donald Trump is having a press conference at Mar-a-Lago. And I had to think about it. What I said was this. January 6th has turned out to be a double tragedy. The assault on our democracy that happened on January 6th, 2021, Feels funny now to say last year. And how that has morphed into this incredibly polarizing debate over what happened, was it that bad, who was responsible, and whether the Democratic House investigation is a kind of an excessively partisan attempt to get Donald Trump. Now, the media, I was very quick to add, have fueled that divisiveness. And, uh, of course, this is all intertwined with Donald Trump's continued drumbeat insisting that the election was stolen. There was a Quinnipiac poll uh, uh, recently. 29% of Republicans said the Capitol riot was an attack on our government. Only 29%. Much higher, uh, obviously, for Democrats. Well, it sure looked that way on television, with members of Congress fearing for their lives. So 
one six has turned out to be the opposite of nine eleven. That was a tragedy that actually brought our country together, while the shameful events of last January have led to a more divided America. Um, and there's some news in terms of the latest poll that fits right in uh, to what I was saying yesterday on Fox News Sunday. Big sweeping uh, Washington Post University of Maryland poll. And the big headline is, and I find these numbers to be absolutely chilling. One year after the Capitol riot, one out of three Americans overall say they believe violence against our government can at times be justified. Think about that. And that's, you know, back in the 1990s, there was a similar poll, much, much, much smaller percentage. Now, if you look at the partisan breakdown, 40% of Republicans in this survey and 41% of independents saying violence can be acceptable at times against our democratically elected government. The view was held by 23% of Democrats. You know, I'm kind of speechless. I never thought growing up in this country that we would get to the point where people would try to justify people on the left and the right, even though obviously the number is much higher for self-identified Republicans. Now, there's also a racial gap into this. 40% of white Americans say, yeah, violence can be justified at times. 18% of black Americans. So what are the reasons they give in this survey? Well, uh, ranging from what they consider to be overreaching coronavirus restrictions. I know people are mad about that. Uh, they were given, you know, open-ended question. What do you think? Why, why would this be justified? Hypothetical justifications about autocracy, tyranny, corruption, loss of freedom. Overall, elsewhere in this survey, 60% of Americans say Donald Trump bears a great deal or a good deal of responsibility for what happened last January 6th. Uh, But 72% of Republicans and 83% of Trump voters say he bears either just some responsibility or none at all. The comparison here, big majorities of Democrats, 88%. Oh, now we're moving on to voter for it. 88% of Dems 74% of independents say no evidence of massive fraud, as Donald Trump continues to claim, in the 2020 election. 62% of Republicans say there is such evidence. And, you know, based on some discussion I also had on Media Buzz, I'm getting a lot of flack online, as I always do, from both sides. Well, you're not even counting all of this other evidence that's come out. Well, no, it hasn't come out. As a journalist, I have to stick to the facts. I understand that people who uh, are deep believers in what Donald Trump says and does believe there's widespread fraud. And, you know, even in the state of Texas, which he won, there was a, not a recount, but an examination of some of the voting, found almost nothing, uh, almost no discrepancy for what was actually reported to the Electoral College. All the lawsuits, I mean, you're familiar with with everything. It it doesn't make you anti-Trump. And it doesn't make you pro-Trump to say the Justice Department didn't find the evidence, the lawsuits haven't found the evidence, some of these um, uh, audits, so-called audits, air quotes, in places like Arizona haven't found the evidence. But here is the polls. And what people believe is very different. About 7 in 10 Americans say Biden's election was legitimate, but that leaves almost 30% who say it wasn't, including 58% of Republicans 
27% of independents. And one more number here to throw at you from this Washington Post poll uh, about January 6th. 78% of Democrats described the protesters as mostly violent. Only 26% of Republicans say mostly violent. Now, I don't contend that every single person who marched into the Capitol was violent, but there was. And I've been rewatching on these various news shows, the footage, you know, you kind of tend to suppress it after a while. You know, the effort to break down the doors of the House chamber, the attacks on police officers. Again, uh, how many people have been arrested and charged? More than 700. That's law enforcement at work. And then you get into some people think they're being treated too harshly. Clearly, there's a battle for history going on now. Uh, whether or not it's uh, going to be revisionist history or history as it seemed at the time. The other point I made is January 6th, and I played a couple of clips, um, there was unanimity that these were mostly Trump supporters, overzealous to be sure, and a handful of thugs that breached the Capitol security, and suddenly you've got chance of hang Mike Pence, and you have members of Congress fearing for their lives, going into hiding. But as time has gone on, it's fallen into the same old partisan divide that seems to mark everything we debate on this country. And I add the media into that. And I don't exempt any news organization. I think there's been a lot of divisiveness fueled by uh, news organizations, and that hasn't helped. And we'll get a, a heaping dose of it in just a couple of days on January 6th. All right. Speaking of COVID, uh, Anthony Fauci was on ABC's This Week yesterday. And I also happened to talk about this on Fox News Sunday, not to replay the whole thing here, but at the top of Media Buzz, what I said was, and you've heard me say this last week if you're a loyal listener to this podcast, the CDC is the most abysmal communicator for a government agency that I have ever seen. You know, for a year and a half, we were told, and Jillian Turner made this point, if for a year and a half we were told if you got COVID, you got to isolate for 10 days, and suddenly it's like, ah, hey, you know what, never mind, five days is fine. Well, that wasn't done because of the science. It was done, uh, although Rochelle Walensky asked about this on CNN, asked about this um, on the Today Show, just deflected, danced around it, wouldn't answer the question. It's done because the CDC is part of an effort to keep the businesses open, to keep the transit systems running, to keep the hospitals open, to keep the planes in the sky because so many people getting the Omicron uh, surge on Thursday, 580,000 new cases, and that's an undercount because it doesn't count home tests. Um, it's a mess. And and Fauci had gone on on MSNBC, said, yeah, we're trying to keep um, businesses open. He didn't lie about it. But yesterday, knowing there'd been a huge backlash against the Centers for Disease Control, Fauci goes on TV and he acknowledges the backlash to his credit. He says the following. There has been some concern about why don't we ask people at that five-day period to get tested. That is something that is now under consideration. CDC is very well aware there's been some pushback about that. Looking at it again, there may be an option in that. Testing could be part of that. Okay, so first of all, how about getting it right the first time? If you're going to go to the five-day isolation, then you've got to make a decision at that time. Okay, we're also asking everybody to make sure they get a negative test. People don't know what to believe. They are so confused by these conflicting messages. People in the media are confused. I do this for a living and I'm confused. So now they're going to change it again. Okay, well, you can go back to work after five days, but you got to get a negative test. Secondly, like, there's no way to enforce that. It's totally voluntary. I think a lot of people are going to blow it off. And just, you know, 
it's like when they said everybody has to wear masks outside no matter even if you've been vaccinated well okay we're going to change that nobody knows what to think anymore and while i'm very grateful for the fact that omicron seems to be a pretty mild case i mean i'm at the point now where i know personally a lot of people have gotten it everyone i know knows a lot of people have gotten it that's how high these numbers have gotten and you're probably in the same situation now the good news is yes there are still people dying and i know people who have died because they weren't vaccinated. Um, being vaccinated doesn't present, prevent you from getting Omicron. We see a lot of these breakthrough infections, but in almost every case, you don't have to go to the hospital and you're not facing uh, severe illness or death. That's a good thing. But the CDC has just been all over the map. Uh, at least Fauci is trying to be candid about these things. I, I just, I watch Rochelle Walensky dance around and I just think she's not very good at communicating with the public. A couple of things to get to here. Twitter has now permanently barred Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Republican congresswoman from Georgia, uh, and her account, her personal account, she still has the congressional account, saying just yesterday that she repeatedly violated the company's COVID misinformation policy. Now, she's had several warnings and suspensions. It's like it's five strikes and you're out, according to Twitter. So this latest move came after she published a tweet uh, falsely suggesting extremely high amounts of COVID vaccine deaths. And there was some chart that she put out. Um, and it didn't sort of deal with the fact that people who self-report this, you know, the fact that you uh, might have gotten uh, COVID doesn't mean that COVID caused it. You know, in other words, some people are dying while they have COVID, but COVID is not the cause of those deaths. People may have pre-existing conditions, maybe had a heart condition, maybe you were suffering from cancer, uh, as we learn with uh, the sad death of Colin Powell. So her account now has been kicked off Twitter. She now has that in common with Donald Trump. Um, she had lost access a couple of earlier times, one for claiming that COVID-19 was not dangerous for non-obese people and those under 65. A month later, she was kicked off for a week uh, for falsely tweeted that COVID uh, vaccines were failing. Well, they're not failing. Uh, so now Green put out a statement on the messaging app Telegram saying Twitter is an enemy to America and can't handle the truth. That's fine. I'll show America we don't need them. Well, nobody needs Twitter, so she's going to go on Getter, the conservative-friendly uh, social app, but that's fine. But... If things reached a point where Twitter said, we have to ban you for misinformation, and there are people who have been suspended from Twitter, and I completely disagree with. You know, quoting a member of Congress, for example, not Marjorie Taylor Greene, but quoting another member of Congress for saying something Twitter disagrees with is not reason to kick somebody off. But Twitter, like Facebook, like Instagram, has adopted a policy that you can say things that are harmful to public health. And look, I know that shifts, right? Because there was a time when you were not allowed on Facebook to say that you believed that um, the COVID-19 virus originated in the Chinese lab in Wuhan. Then suddenly, everyone was taking a second look at it, some more evidence came out, and it certainly became a more active theory. Even President Biden offered a review of it, now it was okay to say it. So sometimes there were shifting goalposts here. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, I think maybe almost wanted to get kicked off because she kept doing this, kept getting suspended, knowing full well she would face a ban, and maybe that gives her something to campaign about. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. This one is just a personal pet peeve for me. Years ago, I wrote an op-ed, got as much reaction as anything I have ever published, 
about how bad at that time customer service has become. You know, when you get the recording like, your call is important to us. Uh, your call may be recorded for quality assurance. And now, you know, I haven't heard that your call is important to us anymore because everybody knows it's not true. I mean, I understand COVID has made it more difficult for companies to provide public service because a lot of their workers are working from home. But it has gotten so out of hand, so out of control, where you're told you've got to wait for hours to talk to a representative um, of the airlines, of many major corporations. They, they just don't want to spend the money. Ultimately, your call is not important to us. They don't care about you. If you can get your problem resolved online, that's fine. If you can do it through a chat mechanism, that's fine. But trying to talk to an actual human being, they no longer see that as part of their responsibility. It really is, it's beyond annoying. It's infuriating, it really is. So, New York Times has a whole story on this. And it seems to say, the focus of the story is about how much meaner people are getting. And I understand, look, tempers are very frayed. Um, as uh, We're all sick of the coronavirus. We're all sick of the media coverage of the coronavirus. And we just want it to go away. And yet here we are with numbers albeit with death rates actually declining slightly, which is the only good news here, with numbers by far exceed the peak of the pandemic back in 2020. So uh, there's one anecdote here about a man in his 60s having an incredible temper tantrum at some store in Minnesota because the store didn't have the expensive imported cheese he wanted. And, you know, so what happens is it's not about the cheese. It's about the breaking point for people. And the writer says in this Times piece, perhaps you felt it yourself, your emotions at war with your better nature. The surge of anger you anger you feel when you enter your local pharmacy, cover, suffering from covid symptoms, only to find out it's out of thermometers, never mind antigen tests. Uh, the shortage of testing is just driving people nuts. And it's a complete and total spectacular miscalculation by the Biden administration. The burst of annoyance at the elaborate rules around vaccine cards and IDs at restaurants. You might even agree with those rules, but you have to wait outside because it's cold out and you forgot your wallet in your car, whatever. A feeling of nearly homicidal rays. Okay, we got a lot of purple pros here in New York Times. At the credit card company rep who just informed you that having failed to correctly get, answer the security questions, I hate those security questions, I always forget the answers, you've been locked out of your account. The meanness of the public has forced many industries to rethink what used to be an article of faith, that the customer is always right. If employees are now having to take on many unexpected roles, therapist, cop, conflict resolution negotiator, then workplace managers are acting as security guards and bouncers to protect their employees. Uh, here's a manager at a store in Traverse City, Michigan, who was recently accused of being unable to read by a customer enraged that the kind of fish advertised as being uh, on sale had sold out. Well, how is that the employee's fault? Another instance, a man who didn't want to wear a mask verbally assailed another employee with personal insults. I mean, it's getting ugly out there. But we get to what I think is the key paragraph. At the same time, many consumers are rightly aggrieved at what they view as poor service, you think, at companies that conduct much of their business online, retailers, cable operators, rental car companies, and the like that seem almost gleefully interested in preventing customers from talking to actual people. That, that 
circle is widening. More and more companies, they don't want you to talk to somebody. They want you to just go away or chat with somebody or figure out a way to get your uh, uh, question answered online. And look, you, if you can cancel your flight online because you're worried about COVID, you, then that's great. But you need to be able to find out what the policy is. I mean, often these chat bots or these people who go online with chats, either it takes forever to get an answer or you just can't get the answer. It's too complicated. You need to talk to somebody. Okay, uh, here is a woman who works for a national chain of home improvement stores in Massachusetts. Customers have been super aggressive and impatient lately. She found herself in a screaming match with a customer who called her lazy and incompetent after she told him that he needed to measure his windows before she could provide the right size shades. And, you know, the number of people who have thrown these incredible temper tantrums, even actually assaulted either flight attendants or fellow passengers while in the air is just stunning. It's just increased exponentially. And look, I don't care. I don't give those people a break. When you're flying, you're in this capsule, you got to control your temper. you got to behave yourself. I think those people should be charged with something. I do not have any sympathy for them whatsoever. But I'm like everybody else. You know, your call is important to us and it's complete BS. And you know that, and even this thing like, well, you know, we'll call you back, and then half the time you don't get a call back, and the whole thing is just a wasted exercise. Um, maybe, you know, this is a permanent change in society, that once COVID finally subsides, and we can't wait for that day, we do think that the uh, Omicron surge will be declining, certainly by the end of January, based on other countries, but, you know, we can't be really positive of that. But maybe, unfortunately, the lesson a lot of these companies have learned is, well, you know what? We can still make a lot of money without providing adequate customer service. I hope not. And, you know, some people can choose to shop elsewhere, whether it's e-commerce or something else. I sound riled up. is because I'm like, all of you, sick of this whole thing, sick of not being able to just call up and get customer service on the phone. Um, look, there were times when, look, I don't want to talk to somebody. I don't want to wait on home. We just you do it online. But there are lots of situations where that just doesn't work. just doesn't work. Anyway, we're looking at a brand new year here. You know, at the end of 2020, we said, wow, 2021's got to be better. For a few months, it seemed like it would be. And then it turned out there was a Delta surge and then the Omicron surge. And then there was a war in Afghanistan and problems at the border. And now we have inflation. There's a lot going on. So there's a lot going to be going on with the media beginning this week with the January 6th anniversary. We will try to cover it all for you here on the podcast. I'd appreciate if you haven't already. If you would subscribe at Apple iTunes or lots of other places on your Amazon device, back here tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.